Hello and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. I'm here with you till 2 p.m. today and I hope you're having a good day. Coming up on today's show, I'll be speaking with Louis Fernandez and he joined me to talk about comic books live three exclamation marks follow that and that is happening at the assembly theater august the 12th and lewis is the co-artistic director of the assembly theater where the event is taking place and this time around it's a brand new canadian graphic novel Tales from Phantom City by Patrick Jenkins. And uh, don't worry if you don't know the name. That's why Lewis is joining me to talk about that event and also his love of comics and the graphic novel. And I pitch in a bit or two um, about some of the comics or graphic novels rather that I love. And Of course, of course, of course, I will have music and some spoken word for you. If you're just joining me, this is an arts at large show, primarily film and theater, but you know, I move it around, I mix it up. And if you want to get in touch with me, if you have a show idea, want to be on my show, you can reach me at TMTM with Donna G on Facebook and Instagram. I am no longer on Twitter. Uh, that bird has flown, but at TMTM with Donna G on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, if you want to catch the podcast or get my information in one spot, www.ciut.fm. Sundays, 1 to 2 p.m., click on The More, The Merrier and tell your friends. You can also find my podcast on my Instagram site as well. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show and don't forget to get in touch with me. I pray for love. I pray for beauty. We pray for money. We pray for sweetness.
Curated by the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. And joining me is Louis Fernandez. And he is the co-artistic director of the Assembly Theater. And uh, Louis has been here before. There's another uh, Comic Books Live event coming up that he's going to let you know about happening on August the 12th. But first, I want to get to know uh, Louis a bit more. So, Louis, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Now, because I saw you're doing another Comic Books Live, I thought, um, why not find out more about this guy, Louis, and, you know, how he got into comic books? So when did that start for you, Louis? Well, I, for me, it started probably like in grade four with um, there was this sort of the Marvel Comics had this release of cards called Marvel Universe cards. And uh, when I was in grade four, the series two had come out and the, the cards just basically like um, label the characters that you would meet in the Marvel Universe, uh, the weapons, the, the, the environments, It's just like a like a collectible card series just about all the different characters. And these cards had... Um, stats for each character at the back like their strengths and their weaknesses and they had like a grid and I just think as a kid we were just so enamored with getting these cards and seeing the different power levels they had and comparing them and thinking I have the most powerful card and we're trading these around the classroom back in grade four um, and for me this just sort of like really opened up my eyes to this like before that there was Ninja Turtles and there was He-Man and there was all other sort of action figure based uh, superheroes that were like fed to me on my television uh, so I was already into action and fantasy so much like fantasy novels and things like that like Lord of the Rings so all of that kind of combines to like when this card series came out it specifically struck me with this specific universe of characters and um, from there um, you know now that I was introduced to these characters I'd never seen before other than the, the obvious ones like Spider-Man and things like that um, when comic books started actually, you know going to the 7-Eleven my father or going to like Shopper's Drug Mart and seeing like these newsstands, they don't really have them as much as they, 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 they did before. These spinner racks where comics would be displayed in this like oh, sort of yeah, rack. Oh yeah, the spinner spin. racks. Yeah, yeah they don't yeah. really have those anymore, right? No, like, they even, don't. Even, no, they don't. Uh, but this is back when people used to buy their comics on specialty shops, uh, and they would just like you know walk into a Seven Eleven and go, "Oh, this looks cool." And so as a kid, my dad would always allow me. In the time, of course comic books were like i could get a slurpee and a comic book for under two dollars <laughs> nowadays a comic book roughly usually around five six dollars per book so it's a pretty expensive habit that i still have to this day um but you know my dad would always allow me to come in and pick one out and um so for for you know for a summer there i was just i was going in and picking these comics out and sampling different things and comics are such brief narratives that when you when you read them you know you only get like a, like a small fraction of a story always ending on a like a cliffhanger of sorts so, you know, you read this comic, like, oh, my God, he's dead. And you, don't know, you don't know what. And then you never actually see the next issue because you're buying them so sporadically. So comics would just, like, sit in my mind because I not only were they such cool characters and colorful costumes, uh, but they were also these narratives where I get this tidbit, this little sliver. It would always end with, like, oh, my God, I think he's going to die. Or, oh, my God, I think the world's over. Like, and you never, like, get – and then you sort of fill in the blanks as a kid and you start to wonder what happens next, even though you may or may not see that next installment. So comics have just – in that era of my life, which would have been the 90s, it was just took up so much headspace for me. And I don't know. I think as a kid, too, I always felt a little bit like an outsider. Um, and so certain books like The X-Men, which would be – to this day is still my favorite of all. I, have, I read everything these days. But, like, the thing I really, really love about The X-Men is just that – they live in a society that hates and fears them and 
they have to like, be better, better. I try to be better by, by, by loving back, by not hating back and trying to find, um, you know, to coexist with other people. And those themes of otherness, those themes of, um, of trying to find peace in a war, in a world that has war and has hatred, you know, those, those, those broad themes. I mean, obviously, even when you go into theater, which is what also what I love too. And um, this is like, obviously the kind of storytelling that resonates no matter how far back we go. And so I, I just, comics just have just sit somewhere where they just sort of intersect with all things that I feel and think. So I, I'm, a, I'm a, I cannot state it any clearer. I'm a huge comic book fan. <laughs> I like the point that you made that, you know, you were buying them sporadically. So you had to use your imagination to fill in mm -hmm. what happened. And yeah, that's going to connect and you more. Dubai, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and the visual thing too, because I think that when we read a novel, um, you know, our mind basically conjures up all the images and through the words that we're reading and in film and, and, and those kinds of um, those kind of arts, we kind of see the whole thing. We like everything is sort of literally like sort of uh, imagistically portrayed to you. The comic book sits somewhere between the film and the novel in a sense that you are getting a vis visual images, but they are static images uh, that with the with different panels can sometimes create the feeling of movement but it isn't there's still some space in between those panels and that's where your imagination fills in the blanks you know and, and um so for me the comic books still do even though we, it is a visual form i do believe that it um that it actually still requires a lot of uh of imagination for the for the reader and i think that that's why i love them so much because you do get that visual but it doesn't spell out everything for you you still have to build the, the, the drama that's happening on the page. I mean, one thing I've noticed by doing comic books live uh, and taking comic books and converting them into play scripts so they're read by actors is that these lines sometimes can be really uh, hokey and can really, really uh, sort of big and silly sometimes. But when you're reading them off the page, I think your mind imbues it with the drama that makes it real and not feel silly. And I think when you read it out loud as an actor, you realize, man, these are high octane emotions being portrayed in these books and as an actor it's challenging to somehow bring that bombastic flair to them and i think that's one of the reasons why the actors who have done my show i really enjoy doing it because it gets lets you play some big bold things that i think don't always portray are, are always portrayed in, in regular play scripts yeah exactly and you have to find the right i know in every play you have to find the right tone but especially in comic books you, there's that fine line between you know, an exclamation and cheesiness. You know? Yes, big time, <laughs> big time. Oftentimes three exclamations. Like not even just yeah. one. Like, yeah, which actually Comic Books Live, our, our title has the three exclamation points uh, as an homage to that. A lot of the writing has big, uh, big, big punctuation for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you mentioned, you know, some of the Marvel comics, but, you know, as an adult, um, are you, I know you mentioned you're still reading X-Men, but what are some other comics that, that you're reading that you'd like to share with my audience and with me? Yeah, well, well that's such a big thing to say. Um, right now, there's, there's so many great books that are coming out from so many different studios. Um, obviously, the big ones being Marvel, DC, generally um, have superhero narratives as they're sort of the main main thing that they sort of uh, give the audience. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That when, you go, when you move into more... Um, indie or even like smaller press things. Um, and obviously when I say that like image dark horse, these companies are still rather large, uh, but there's like boom studios, abstract studios. There's a lot of studios that are much smaller print 
Um, and if you care to investigate those things, uh, you'll notice that comic book, uh, the comic book art form is not just about superheroes, even though that does dominate. I think especially in the in the, the world of movies now, it's like kind of like the thing. And I'm sure there's some um, people getting tired of that that sort of uh, style of storytelling. But uh, comic books have like they, they they venture into science fiction, fantasy, romance, um, even like period pieces. And um, one that I really really like uh, recently, which is a really weird one, was Eight Million Eight Billion Genies uh, by Chris Soul, I believe. I'm not so hope I'm saying his name right, but. This is a, was a story about from Image Comics, a story about uh, a world where everybody gets a genie and gets one wish and how that would sort of manifest and what that would do to the world. And it's such a big, crazy concept. And I thought, this is going to be the weirdest thing I've ever read. But the fact that they've managed to find a way to like tell that really big concept and still find like a, like a nugget of story that brought humanity to it and, and a lot of ways that they thought about how that would affect the world, I thought it was just a very interesting story. And I think that, it's an eight-part series, so it's a bit long. Uh, but I, I have contemplated maybe making that one of the comic books live books we approach in the future. Um, another one that I really, really like is called, um, I'm trying to say, it's Bitter Root. It's a story um, about, like, a Black family that, like, lives in, like, the like a certain time period of when, when jazz and stuff. Um, I can't remember the exact time frame of it, but, like... Is the, it the Harlem the, Renaissance that you're thinking about? That is correct. Yes, that's yeah. correct. And during and during that time, it's about like the, a family of vampire or hunters or monster hunters. But in this context, when they tell the story, um, you know the, these monsters are sort of like hatred and racism, sort of embodied in this concept of monsters, and then fighting that. So it's like this like larger uh, um, narrative about like sort of like bigger world themes, but told in a way that's still about like sort of like a, an adventurous family. And I think there's something about that book that is really special, and I'm. You know, there's always rumblings with books like this. It's also another image comic. Uh, image right now, in my opinion, even though I, 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 I would be careful to say that they're indie because they're such a big publisher. It's definitely one of the biggest publishers outside of the main. Uh, they just got their books right now, in my opinion, are just some of the best stuff because they really take their narratives into different places. And they, they often truck in, in stories that are like five, 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 six issues of length. So it really gives you a complete story experience if you do follow them. But, uh, yeah, that, I, that I, that. I love um, Saga. Ah, oh, that's a great book, too. That's a great, <laughs> great book, too. Which is still going on, actually. I, I remember when I was introduced to that was years ago. And there's still monthly books for that book coming out. It's still telling that tale, uh, which is a generational tale, right? So that's, a, that's another great book, for oh. sure. So Sorry? still going. I thought Saga ended. I thought I had all the books. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's still going on, because I... I, I I confess that I'm at I'm at such a collection point in my life that I'm basically buying my books. I get the I get the preview books, like the basically the book that the store uses to order their books, and I go through that to make my monthly order. And I definitely see that book still out there for sure. Your monthly order, Lewis? Yeah, I, I said this is my first episode ever of Comics Live was I host the event, so I often open up the show with a bit of a monologue. And my first one I ever did, I really talked about my love of comics, sort of like we're talking now. Um, and it's a big problem for me. Like I am still an artist that has like, limited funds, and uh, I do spend an ungodly amount of money on purchasing comics. And I'm kind of a purist because obviously a lot of people now they will, you know, collect by collecting digital versions of it, whether it's pirated or done properly on these subscription services that exist. But for me, there's something about the phys. I mean, it's not not just a collecting thing. I know that for a lot of people, it's about the collecting and the 
the mint condition and all this stuff. That's not really my bag. My bag is just the physical copy of it. The ability to take it around and like to open it like a book. I'm not much of an e for for like the year that I'm in. I'm a bit of an archaic person. I, I like reading my books as books. Like I'm not a big e-reader guy. And so something about owning this art, even though I can you know say it's not the original print or something like that. Something about owning these books is meaningful to me. And it's not just because I have the collection and I own it, which is part of it for sure. It's just that like my my love for the physical copy of a book, which is something that I haven't been able to give up, even though we're really moving away from it. Yeah, I love a physical book too. And, um, you know, I share a lot of audiobooks um, on my show, but on my library, I have different wish lists where I have, you know, a, a tag called get the book because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. not everything is going to translate well to audio. And sometimes a book is so good, you just want to sit in a corner and curl up and actually read it and spend some time with it. Exactly. So I totally understand that. And um, I know that my Toronto Public Library, you're able to download digital copies of comics. But again, mm -hmm. I, I like having that book in my hand. I like, you know, when I read a page, I like going back and just looking at the images to see the, the story that's being told and, you know, appreciate, appreciate the art of, you know, what... Um, of what they've done because there's more than one person that works on a, a comic book absolutely and, um you know i i learned a lot from um, michael golden and ken lashley about mm -hmm. i know ken lashley i actually saw when i was a young man he's uh, he did illustration classes and there was a time when i i still i still uh, aspire to create comic books myself and maybe this comics live is like an manifestation of wanting to get more involved in this hobby of mine and this art of mine uh, but Ken Lashley was uh, an illustrator that would teach classes and blew my mind at, when I was in grade five and six when he came into our classroom. And I remember someone asked him to draw a picture of the beast. And uh, when, I think when I asked it, I was talking about the beast from the X-Men. And he went on the chalkboard in front of our class and drew uh, a picture of beast from Beauty and Beast. And initially when he was drawing, when he was assembling, I'm like, what is he doing? That's not the, what does he do? And then it turned out to be the Disney beast, like almost pitch perfect picture right from his mind with a chalk and i was like this person isn't genius and ken lashley still uh, does a lot of drawings for marvel and stuff i still see his work kind of oh, time yeah. collecting he's amazing yeah. yeah i follow him on instagram lead killer mm -hmm. and you know i've seen him at uh you know the cons where he's you know having these battles with uh another uh comic book artist and um ken is a He's so friendly too, eh? He's, oh, he's so wonderful. Friendly. I can't believe you got to see yeah. him in, in grade five. I did. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, I did. He came to my class, and then oh. I took a. I took him around. Uh, wasn't at King Edward. Where was it? There was a uh, Lord Lansdowne. He was doing a summer class and an illustration. And when I took the class, uh, I had no idea he would be teaching it, and it was just such a lovely thing to see him again, and then to know him through the conventions, as you say, and and, and through his work. But like, yeah, he's a gem. Sure. Yeah. And he was one of the few um, black artists at the mm -hmm. time that um, so that's how I, enc I encountered him, you know, right. in, a sea, in a sea of um, white faces. There was Ken Lashley. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's such a friendly guy. Honestly, he's I, such I, a he's friendly a, guy. People like that, honestly, when you because it feels so and I think I still suffer from this in my nowadays just because it's not like you know theater has always been the art form that i work in sort of predominantly i, I feel a little bit um 
nervous or a little bit uh, trepidatious to go into comics because although I know them well because I, I read and collect them, it's just like, you know, I, I have no illustration skills personally. So it's so hard because the, the collaboration process between a writer and, a, and an illustrator is such a unique thing that is new to me. So people like Ken Lashley, like make, like break that idea that I, I like they're, they're pretentious or they're um, hard to reach or not like, you know, like, like he's a guy who makes you go, maybe I could approach an artist and have that conversation. I mean, maybe it's not an impossible dream to get involved with this. And so people like that who bring kindness to the work, you know, kindness to, and it kind of like un unveil the, the mystique of it all. You know, he's a, his ability to just draw in front of you and to instruct made me feel like, man, maybe there's something I can do, you know? And so people like that are so important in any art because they encourage you to like, to, 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 to try and not be afraid of failing. And I, I think that's something that I got from him, to be honest. And when I met Michael Golden, I had no idea who he was. <laughs> so I had no idea. It's like I was just covering it at the con for, um, my, I don't know if it was Toronto Comic Con or Fan Expo at the time. I forget what it was called. And I just went up to Michael Golden and started talking to him. And I'm mm -hmm. like, holy crap, there's a legend. I had no <laughs> idea. Because my approach at the time was I'm going to introduce Comic Con to people like me. You know, to people right. like me who see the people who dress up and wonder what's going on. Mm -hmm, so that yeah. was my view. So I was like total newbie, not starstruck because I didn't know anybody. It's like so. And then I, I thought the first person I'm talking to is Michael Gold. And then after that, he was telling me what he did. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is a big one. <laughs> it's big. As a thing about comic books, actually, I, I, you know, there's so many superstar writers and artists that don't have mainstream sort of fame. And that's always something that's really struck me is that you can walk by someone who's done something, some incredible work that's changed the way, you know, that, that's actually changed the way we tell stories, uh, especially in this new superhero sort of era that we're in. And, and, and it could still be unknown. And I think there's something really beautiful about that when you're an actor it's like almost like it's assumed that the more popular or the, or the more well-known you are it's just sort of it becomes sort of like someone that you could recognize but it's crazy to think that some of these are uh these illustrators and writers have created huge bodies of work that we're, we're still telling those stories now outside of the, the medium and you wouldn't, wouldn't notice them on the street and i think that's something really beautiful about that personally yeah and you know from that time it's so good for me to see sanya anwar still going um, mm -hmm. with her comics. Um, any other women out there that, that you that you like that come to mind? I know I'm uh, putting what, you on the spot with this. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm going to make sure I see it right because I have the comic in front of me. Like, there's a, it's called Black Cloak by... Uh, I want to make sure I see the right author here. Uh, but it's a great book that I'm really enjoying right now. And it is by Kelly Thompson. Um, and she's just a great writer. Um, popular for some of her stuff that she's done over at Marvel. But like... It's uh, this is like a fantasy world um, where there's sort of like mages that exist sort of as doctors or sort of as like public almost detectives and stuff like 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 magic is sort of uh, in this universe and it's about these black cloaks these like sort of detectives that use magic to like solve crimes and sort of like a kind of got a crime thriller sort of feel to it but it's also a lot of fantasy and what I love about this book specifically is I'm only a few issues in and I've, I've got actually a backlog to read uh, is that it's like really world building like like every little detail in the first few issues even though i don't understand everything quite yet you see like very clearly the language of this universe there's a um there's a structure to this universe that we don't understand but we're getting these little insights into and i'm just so intrigued one of the things that i really love in comic books 
and, and storytelling in general is not having things spelled out for you. And when, when you're world building and, there, and it's a new world, you don't really know the score yet of how this works or, oh, this world has magic elements in it. How does that work? Like, just to get these little tidbits, you can, you can see that it's very rich and it's very thought out, but the, the, the details are not quite known to you yet. So I'm really digging that book because the universe that she's building is really sort of uh, engrossing. And I don't understand everything yet, but I'm so keen to learn. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's Black Cloak. Now, mm -hmm. um, throw one more out before we get to Tales from Phantom City. Sure. Uh, trying to throw one more out right now. I'm trying to get creative here. Um, what do I like right now? I mean, is it both? Well, this one's a little bit more of a. This one's a little bit more on like sort of the nerdier spectrum, I think, for myself. But there's a, a book that I'm starting to read called Arcade Kings uh, by Dylan Burnett, and it's uh, it's just got a very cartoon like like it's got a very manga manga like cartoony vibe to it. And I've only read the first issue, but kind of about these like it's almost like taking like people who are good at video games or like this sort of video game culture, uh, but making it more like an actual like sort of like tournament where it's sort of like um, almost like video game warlords that are that are that are like like fighting for supremacy. But it's in this guise of like their skills in video games, not like warriors that are actually fighting an octagon or something. And I, I'm, again, this is one I don't know too much. Again, I'm just at the early stages of it, but I just loved I just love the language of it using all the sort of video game vernacular and uh, tropes in the storytelling. I've just really enjoyed it. Um, but I feel like I don't know enough. Just like a lot of these books I'm talking about, because I'm still a reader in real time reading these things. I'm just intrigued by it right now. I don't know what where it's going to go, or maybe I won't like where it ends up. But like for now, I, I'm hooked. So that's that's kind of why I bring it up. Yeah. I made the mistake once of going into um, The Silver Snail <laughs> and saying, you know, hi, can you introduce me to some comic books? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like sixty dollars later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's such a broad thing, right? And it, that's actually like people have actually asked me that. Um, you know, I have I don't read books. What would you start me with? You know, and it, and it's really hard to say because I think that's like saying where do we start movies? Where do we start and see? I don't know. There's a lot of things out there like music, like a lot of genres. Like it's like how do we how do you pare it down? Well, um, she she I for, oh, forgot her name, the person who the staff member, but she she started by asking me, you know, you know, what do I like? And um, mm -hmm. so I told her the kind of stories that I liked and she recommended some books for me and um, it, it was great. But um, what was Rebecca? Do you remember what it was recommended? I would love to hear what she recommended. Um, she well, that's how I got on to um, Saga mm -hmm. and. East of West. Oh, that's a great book. Yeah. Uh, Hickman, Dragada, and Martin. And, yeah, um, and Lazarus. Okay. Uh, Rooka, Lark, and Arcus. So those are the ones that she recommended along with the, um, the saga. Yeah, those are, those are great choices. Jonathan Hickman uh, is one of my favorite writers at, at this current point. And he, uh, he you know, going back to X-Men, he... His, his recent sort of reboot of X-Men that happened maybe two, three, now it's about what, four years now, before the pandemic. Yeah, and uh, I, like I actually met like... him. I actually met oh, really? him at, uh, I met him at TCAF one year. Oh, that's amazing. And um, I was like, oh my God, you're here. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But speaking of TCAF. I don't even know, I wouldn't even know what he looks like, to be honest. I'm such a fan. I have no idea what he looks like. <laughs> I've honestly never seen a picture of him. Like, I wouldn't even know him to see him, but he's like my favorite writer right now. Yeah, um, 
I, I have a picture. I'll I'll send it to you if I can dig it up. Okay. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, of course. Um. So speaking of uh TCAF Toronto Comic Arts uh Festival. Um, yeah. So Tales from Phantom City by Patrick Jenkins uh, made its debut there. It did. Yeah. So it was actually one of the most amazing experiences of my year. Um, you know, Comic Books Live now, this is our fourth one that we're doing. Um, and so it's a rather new thing that I'm, you know, that I've embarked on. And it's the show still building its audience. And it's, I've been lucky to have such great feedback and such a great sort of turnout over the last few, three or four shows. But one of the biggest things that happened this year with the show was that TCAP approached me about the possibility of doing a live reading of one of their featured books. And I, for me, that was a huge thrill. You know, I, we just started this endeavor and to have TCAP, which is such a reputable festival for this work, uh, come to me was just something that really thrilled me. Um, and so they did give me a couple uh, options of books and we opted in the end to go with Paul, uh, Patrick Jenkins' uh, Tales from Phantom City, because it was a new book that was launching um, at, at the TCAF. So I thought that was really exciting to help use the, the platform of Comic Books Live to promote a new book, which we actually did earlier in our second show uh, with Dwayne Murray's Better Place um, and Sean Daly's. Uh, and it was such, such a great turnout and exciting because while Comic Books Live sometimes does take like more populist books, uh, we've done X-Men issue one, for instance, and the, it's in a gauntlet issue four in the past um and those are fun to do and we kind of send up the material and kind of comedically approach it it's actually a lot more exciting in some ways for me to to be looking at someone's actual real new work because then it's a different vibe first and foremost because we're not like making fun of it we're just trying to enact it at the best of our ability but it's also great to like be able to uh, explore that work that's brand new and give it a, uh, a stage to like almost as a promotion for the book um and so, yeah, to do that, at, uh, we did it at TCAF uh, back in April. Um, and it was such a success, even though it was a one-off event for TCAF, and we did it in Kensington at Nothing Fancy, which is, sadly I don't think is, exists anymore, um, only a few months ago. Um, you know, it was a small venue with a very small crowd, and we were, had very bare-bones lighting sound op options. And we still did this full graphic novel. It's like a 124-page graphic novel that I've transcribed into a play script. And let me say to you that Tales from Phantom City is almost like a visual poetry. It's very uh, non-linear. It's very uh, bizarre and psychedelic. And so I didn't know what I was embarking on when I said yes to it, because it was a very hard book to transform into a play script. And it was very challenging. And I'm very proud of what I, what I came up with and my ability to have found the language to tell that story in this way and so when we did it at TCAF it was just a very successful outing and most importantly Patrick himself seemed to really love our take on it and the humor that was found sometimes inadvertently by the conversion of comic to stage you know I always worry I want I don't want anyone to think I'm making fun of the material when when it becomes inadvertently funny because of that conversion but Patrick was the first one in the, in the front row laughing his butt off and just so enjoyed the experience and that was so uplifting to me because there is a bit of fear I suppose when you are taking someone's work and trying to put a spotlight on it in your own particular nomenclature you don't want to screw it up you don't want them to feel like I didn't like that take you know and so for him to be so so happy with the result I knew that there was a moment there an opportunity there because I do have my monthly shows like hey why don't we do it again at my show and and he was all for it so and even better than that was that the At Bay Press, uh, which uh, publishes the book, was also all for it too. They really loved the 
the, the you know just having an ability to showcase a book in this way that's an event rather than just like a posting on an uh, on a website or something so they're just so enthusiastic and i i'm really excited to to do it okay and this is happening august the 12th 8 p.m at the assembly theater 1479 queen street west and it's great that you're going to have the original cast yes um yes we have we have um the original cast is all there it was a bit of a juggling act to get them all in. Um, we did lose one of our great actors, Tiffany uh, Martin, uh, who actually is in a film right now, so she couldn't do it. But I was able to get Brianna Wright, who recently just did a show with my, my fellow co-artistic director, Cass Van Wick, over at the Fringe Festival. Good, uh, was it Good Times? It's Good. Good Old Days. Was the Good Old Days. Play. Good Old yeah. Days by... Uh, yeah, Michael Ross Albert, who's also a good friend of mine. Um, so I just saw her work on that Friends show. We lost an actor. I approached her and she's, she's in. So we have an exciting new cast member as well. Yeah, that's great. And um, I did interview uh, Michael um, right. about the play at the Fringe. Couldn't make it there, but uh, this is my chance to uh, to see somebody from the show. Yeah, and, and, and Brianna's very good. I, I, I in, in Michael's play... Uh, um, the play sort of is a rolling narrative with many small minor characters. So both actors had to be a bunch of sort of smaller characters in different scenes. And I was really impressed with Brianna's work and how she was able to really embody these different characters, even these brief scenes. And so I'm just so excited to see her take this role and I'm just excited to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it, we really, uh, uh, we really found a special something with this cast. So I, I, I just can't wait. Okay, so um, let's talk pricing. How much are tickets? Yeah, tickets are 20 bucks, which I guess is the standard ticket price for a show at the Assembly. Um, I was hoping to announce here on this interview uh, our musical act to open the show, but unfortunately I lost my musical act uh, just a couple of days ago. So we're just still looking for someone to hopefully open the show with some music because I always love interdisciplinary events where we have a couple of things. Like, although it's a celebration of comic books, I do love to get other performance arts in there as well. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a great night. Patrick Jenkins will actually be at the event to sign copies. We'll have um, something like 60 copies of the book for sale. This time around, we do have a digital copy that will be projected at the event. So I encourage people to have a copy of the book to read along with the, with, with the, the reading because it's actually it's like kind of meant to be done with the images in front of you. But for this event, you no know, purchase is necessary. We will have a digital projection of the comic as we're reading it but again if you if you come to the show there will be copies for sale and i encourage you to get one and have it signed by patrick because it's a great opportunity to do so do you recall how much the book is the book is 25 dollars um it retails for like 24.99 plus tax so getting that 25 dollars at the show is actually a discount because uh, you're it's a uh, we're getting it straight from the publisher um and so yeah 25 bucks and it's a really sweet full experience this book i i highly recommend uh getting a copy you can. Okay. So theassemblytheater.com is your website for more information. And yep. Lewis, thank you so much for expressing your love um, of the comic book arts and comic book live, three exclamation marks. And right. uh, I love that you put that in there. Hunchy and, and relevant to the genre. Absolutely. And thanks, Donna, for having me. It's a lot of My lot of fun pleasure. Uh, we'll have to hook up for the next one. I will try. I will bug you for sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs>
do All that. Right. If you know of any um, romance comics, I'd love to to know about those. Anything that have a romance in them? I, I, I got one right, 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 ready to tell you. It's called Love Everlasting. It's by uh, Tom King, who's another after um, Hickman, probably my next favorite writer right now. Um, and Tom King, he, he uh, it's called Love Everlasting by Image Comics, and it's actually like a woman who's stuck in these romance novels like you're stuck in like these like old romance comics so she's that it's like kind of like a genre mixture where she's aware that i'm stuck in these like horribly misogynistic romance moment tropes and i gotta bust out okay (laughs) trying to get out of the Uh, fucking yeah uh get some comics ready for the next time we do this okay absolutely okay all right (laughs) awesome all right thanks a lot donna bye bye
KCIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The More, The Merrier with Donna G. I'm here until 2 o'clock. Thank you for, you know, thank you for finding me on the dial on the website, the CIUT website, and for listening to what's coming up next. And that is some dub poetry from Afua Cooper, Dr. Afua Cooper. And um, she's got a couple of honorary degrees uh, recently. And you'll be hearing my piece. And you'll be hearing Step Into the Music, a poem for Bob Marley. This was all in her earlier days when she had time to do dub poetry. Now she's a professor, a writer. She's come such a long way and she has worked hard, people. Also, another hard worker. You're going to hear from Lillian Allen, uh, Toronto's Poet Laureate. Um, Juno Award winner and um, have many accolades as well. You'll be hearing Rasta from her. And before the station identification, you heard Maylee Todd with Aerobics in Space. And before my interview with Luis Fernandez about Comic Books Live at the Assembly Theatre, you heard Oshun by Amai Kuda E Le Bois. And that's just a birthday happiness send out to her um, for making such wonderful music that I enjoy. It's infectious. I find myself singing Oshun um, all the time, as well as many of her tracks. So that's why I decided to play that. Plus, it's fun and I love it. And uh, you can also look for her videos on YouTube. I'm going to have to have her back to talk about the making of those YouTube videos that go with her CD emergency. So stay tuned for that. As for me, if you want to ever get in touch with me, my socials are at TMTM with Donna G on Facebook and Instagram on Instagram, you can just click link in bio and that'll take you to all of my podcasts. I'm on Spotify, Amazon, Red Circle is my main hosting site. And, uh, you know, send me a message. I love to hear from my listeners. What are you enjoying? What are you not enjoying? What do you want more of? Let me know. Okay, so here now is Dr. Afua Cooper. My peace. My peace, I want my peace. I want my peace. I want my peace. I should have gotten it in 1838, but did not. Now, I want it for my people. We are the only people who came to this part of the world involuntarily. We were the unwilling migrants dragged here in chains. And when the chains were unlocked from our hands, necks, and feet, our masters were given 20 million pounds as compensation for the loss of their property. But the property, after centuries of enslavement, received nothing. We have worked so hard for nothing. And now we want reparations. Germany is still paying reparations to the Jews. The 
Canadian Japanese have waged a fight for reparation for the loss of their property, lives, and dignity, and won. And I am requesting my peace. I want it for my people. Every time you hear about Africa, it's always how much money she owes to the West, the World Bank, the IMF, and the other parasites. But can they ever repay Africa for the plunder, the rape, the loss of human and natural resources? The little island I come from, the little island that the robber admiral describes as the fairest land the eyes ever beheld is in debt, great debt, to the IMF, the World Bank, and the other bloodsuckers. But I say this little island was nothing. Can they ever repay us for the genocide, for the slavery, and the colonialism? I want my peace. I want it for my people. I want to build a school as a monument for Queen Abena of Jamaica, who even though exiled, returned to her home island to rekindle the flame of revolt, to build a hospital in the memory of Mary Seacold, who cared for British soldiers in the Crimean War. I want my peace to make a movie about Nanny, Paul Bogle, and George William Gordon, and to Saint Louis Tour, to write a book about Marie Joseph Angelique, the black slave woman who burnt down Montreal in her bid for freedom. I want my peace for those lost ancestors whose name I will never know. Yeah. I want my piece of that 20 million pounds to make poems, to make songs, to write books, to make films, to make art, to give to freedom fighters. I want my peace, my peace, my peace. I want it for my people. in to the music step in to the music bob you make me move in an ancient way in an ancient way my feet never forget you make my body do things i never thought was possible you make me do old world dance, the homey dance. You make me the priestess pure and sacred. We don't need no more trouble. And my body moves slowly, my arms uplifted. I am offering sacrifice to an ancient god as I step in to the music, stepping to the music. Listen to the sound and the beat of your heart. Listen to the rebels and the rest of them attack. Listen to them chanting. Listen to them rapping. Listen to the shifting of the planets that is happening. On the Rasta man checking back. I see him have to go down to Eglinton. 
I hope you enjoyed those dub poetry tracks. Before I sign off, I just wanted to let you know that those were in recognition of August 1st being Emancipation Day for those of us who were colonized by the British Emancipation Day. It was August 1st, 1834, that slavery was abolished and took effect 
um, and liberated peoples under the British Empire. Of course, we know certain things still went on here in Canada and elsewhere. Uh, in America, um, the enslaved Africans who lived and helped to develop those United States were not freed until much later. But Emancipation Day, um, recognized here in Canada, August on August the 1st. And thank you much to Rosemary Sadler for her hard work and for those around her that helped to have this day recognized. And she's also the one with help that got us Black History Month in Canada. Not an easy feat. Took many, many years. So I just wanted to acknowledge Rosemary and the people that um, worked with her to make these important days publicly acknowledged. I'm signing off now and you're going to hear Denison George and Grenada Will Rise Again. And uh, my contacts at TMTM with Donna G on Facebook and Instagram or www.ciut.fm, Sundays 1 to 2 p.m. Thank you all so very much. I say Grenada will rise again. Lost houses and plantation, not the resolve of a great nation. Suffering and pain will fade away. This too shall pass, the Bible say. Your children in foreign feel your pain. Working together to build again. You've been through wars and revolution. Rise, rise, Grenada, rise. Grenada will rise again. I said, Grenada will rise again. After this hurricane we shall rise Like a great nation we shall rise Like Jesus Christ we shall rise Like Julian Fedor will rise I say Grenada will rise again Tell the world will rise again I say Grenada will rise again In the eyes of this storm we held strong Neighbors the neighbors they pulling along Brick by brick still Again, tree by tree will plant again. Your children in foreign feel your pain. Working together to build again. You've been through wars and revolution. Rise, rise, Grenada, rise. Grenada will rise again. I said, Grenada will rise again. In this time. Of critical condition. We need mandatory cooperation to build back the Spice Island. Your children in foreign feel your pain. Working together to build again. You've been through wars and revolution.
nation. Rise, rise, Grenada, rise. Grenada will rise again. Grenada will rise again. After this hurricane, we shall rise. Like a great nation, we shall rise. Like great Africans will rise. Like Jesus Christ, we shall rise. Like Julian Fedor will like the great China Wall will rise. Like Jesus Christ, we shall rise. After this hurricane, we shall rise. I say Grenada will rise again. 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 Shall